As we open God's Word this morning, let us, let's go to Him in prayer. Lord, as we open Your Word, we ask that You would enlighten our hearts to receive Your truth. Help us to see You more clearly. Help Your Gospel to find its root in our hearts more deeply. And Lord, help us to just grow in our love for You and for Your people and for, for Your creation, that we would represent You well wherever we go. Now, Lord, we ask that You speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you remember when you were in school and you would lose your, you know, your coat or your lunchbox or your gym clothes, whatever it may be. You would lose these items and then they would take them to a place in the school, right? And that place was called the Lost and Found. And as you may know, I have three kids and so I have rummaged through what they call the lost and found, which is usually a large container that is overflowing with jackets, lunch boxes, and random pieces of clothing. <laughs> and who, who knows what else? But anyway, it's kind of convenient. It's chaotic in one sense because it's just a bunch of stuff in a large container. But at the same time, it's convenient because you know this is where all the lost stuff is. It's in this container. So if someone's wearing a coat around, you assume that's yours. That coat is found because he's wearing his coat. But if you're looking for a lost coat, you just go to this place called Lost and Found. Very convenient. Gathering all the lost stuff together in one place. Now, if you want to find a lost lunchbox, that's convenient to go to the Lost and Found. But what if you were to try to find a lost person? In these parables in Luke 15... The emphasis is on God seeking and saving the lost. Lost things being found. And so, where would you find a lost person? And what I mean by that is someone who does not have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They're not a follower of Christ. Where would you find a lost person? Well, we know there's not like a lost and found container somewhere where all people that are lost go and hang out. That's just not the way it is. It's more complicated than that. Uh, Now, in the parables that Jesus tells in Luke 15, the first two, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, very simple. You know, the coin is lost, I'm looking for it, I've got to find it. The sheep gets lost, I need to go find it. But what we're going to see in this third parable in Luke 15 is that lostness is somewhat complex and that we all wear our lostness differently. It's not just neatly placed in this little category over here and that, oh, you can look at it and say, oh, that's lostness. No, we all wear our lostness differently. And so as we walk through this parable in Luke 15, there are three characters here that Jesus uh, describes. One is the father, and then this father has two sons, the, the elder son and the younger son, the elder brother and the younger brother. And as we walk through the parable, I want you to be thinking of Which son do you best identify with? And while you do that, I also want you to think about the Father. Do you see God the way Jesus portrays Him in the character of the Father? And you can even ask yourself the question, which is the lost son? The younger or the older son? So let's look at this parable and see if we can answer some of those questions. In verse 11, Jesus says, There was a man, and he has two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. 
And the father divided the property between them, meaning the two sons. Now, the same is true today as it was true then. And that is, usually you don't receive your inheritance until after the father dies. And so in essence, the younger son is going to his father and he's saying to him in so many words, I wish you were dead so I could have your money. (laughs) It's pretty much what he's saying. And he says, I want my share of the inheritance now. And a surprising move, the father actually grants him his request and divides the property between them. And then we read in verse 13, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. So finally, the moment that this younger son has been waiting for, I finally have the resources I need to get away from the father in his house. That's what he wanted. I want out of here. Because he saw the father in his house as a place of oppression, restriction. You know, it's keeping me from experiencing life the way life should be experienced. And so the younger son says, give me my, my money. And then as soon as I get the ability, I'm out of here. I want to do my own thing. I want to live life apart from the father. And that's exactly what he does. And some of you may have that same view of Christianity. You know, Christianity is is antiquated. It's oppressive. All it is is a list of rules. And you may think about the time when you you, you felt that way, or maybe you still feel that way. You said, as soon as I can, I'm out of here. I'm not going to church. I'm not obeying the Ten Commandments or whatever commandments there are. I'm, this is oppressive, antiquated. I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm not going there. That's not where life can be found. That's the younger son. He leaves the father's house to go and search for freedom, for life, to do what he wants to do. And this is how he viewed life. And so he ran from the father. And then in verse 13 it says, And there, in this faraway land, he squandered his property in reckless living. In other words, he started living apart from the father and apart from his father's ways and he just did whatever he wanted to do. And so there was a recklessness about his lifestyle. And what he began to realize is that as he was living life his way, untethered from the father, he would begin to experience brokenness and famine. And we see what happens in verse 14. Jesus says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that he was feeding the pigs. But no one gave him anything. This tells you how low this man had gotten. And that he was hired out to most likely a Gentile pig farmer, because obviously a Jewish man would not have a pig farm since they believed that pigs were unclean. And so there was a famine in the land, jobs were hard to come by, and so this man, this young Jewish man, would take any job. And so he found a job with this Gentile pig farmer, and his job, his role, was to feed the pigs. That's what he did. And it said it got so bad that even these pods that he was feeding to the pigs, he began to crave. 
because no one gave him anything. In other words, he was empty. He was experiencing life apart from the Father, and he was empty. And then something happened. In verse 17, Jesus said, he, he came to himself. And maybe you all have had this happen to you, where you come to your senses. You come to yourself. In other words, you realize what you are doing is actually not good. It's not right. It's not what God would want you to do. And for some reason, circumstances may have helped you come to this conclusion, but something clicked. And you realized, I have really made a mess of things here. And this is what happened to this younger son. He realizes, I have really got myself into a bind. And maybe this path that I thought was going to give me life and satisfaction actually may not be the path that I should walk continually down. And so Jesus says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so as he's coming to his senses, he's realizing, okay, my father's house is a house of plenty. And I know I can no longer be a son because I am, in all practical purposes, dead to them. I have separated myself from that household, taken my inheritance that I have run. But even the hired men that come in and do jobs from my, on my father's farm have it better than I do. And so I want to go to my father and I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to acknowledge it for what it is. And obviously this younger son, he knew his father was gracious and merciful. And so he said, I think my father would probably at least maybe help me to get a job for him and start working to pay back my debt. And that's, that's how he viewed it. I want to be a hired man, a hired servant, so that I can start paying back this debt that I owe my father. And so maybe if I confess my sin, I can at least be a servant and start paying my way back into His good graces. So that's his thinking. And then he says he comes, and uh, while he's still a long way off, Jesus says, he arose and he comes to the Father. And I'm sure he's experienced some anxiety, some fear, and it says, as he was still a long way off, in verse 20, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And then it says, he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, can you just imagine what this man would have smelled like? You know, He had nothing. He didn't even have shoes on his feet. Feeding pigs. And yet, when his father saw him a long way off, he runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. And one thing you would never see, actually, and this is why this story is so phenomenal, and that you would never see in this patriarchal society, you would never see the father run. Running was childish. You would never run. Now, if you were a child, you would run, perhaps. But not the father. You would never see a father run. But Jesus says the Father runs to, to, to grab Him, to embrace Him, to kiss Him. 
Because Jesus is showing you a picture of God that sometimes we just forget. And that God runs to us. He comes to us. He initiates with us. He's always after us. Always willing to embrace us. To kiss us. To bring us in. That's what God does. And so He embraces Him. He kisses Him. And then in verse 21, the Son prepares His speech and now He's going to deliver it. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before You. I am no longer worthy to be called Your Son. And so He's going through His spiel. He's going through His rehearsed speech. And then the Father interrupts in verse 22 and it says, But the Father said to His servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on Him and put a ring on His hand and shoes on His feet. In other words, I want people to see that this boy, this young man, is mine. Put the robe on him. Put the ring on him. Put the shoes on him. Because servants don't wear the shoes. But a son does. Put the shoes on him. People need to see that this is my son. And he is brought back into the family. And then he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So as the son is going through his prepared speech, the father interrupts him with grace. The son is interrupted by grace. And all who have read this parable, from the time that Jesus spoke it, have been interrupted by grace. This is grace. It's receiving something good and wonderful, something that you could never earn or achieve on your own. It's receiving something beyond all you can ask and imagine. This son never in his wildest dreams thought that the father would bring him back into the family as a son. No way. Maybe a hired servant, maybe. But his life was interrupted by grace. And Jesus says that's the way God is. God is that Father. God is the one who extends grace sufficient enough to bring you back into His family. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you have journeyed, God's grace is sufficient to bring you in to His family. Because you see, in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, we see why Jesus is telling this parable. Because there were two groups of people gathered to hear Him. Tax collectors and sinners. Pharisees and scribes. And the Pharisees and scribes are accusing Jesus of receiving and eating with sinners. And so Jesus is describing to these Pharisees and scribes, look, no matter what people have done, tax collectors and sinners... The reason I receive them and eat with them is because God's grace is able to reach them. And when they turn to God, God brings them into the family. And that's worth celebrating. And so you see the younger son. He he represents the tax collectors and sinners. He represents those of us who have blatantly lived life untethered from God. We've done our own thing. We had no regard for God and His Word. We just very uh, visibly displayed our lostness. Right? Everybody can see it. And we know people like that, that are just 
visibly displaying their losses. They do not know God. They don't care that you know that. And they're showing it by their actions. They're lost. You see that. But, Jesus isn't done with the parable because there's another person He needs to develop, another character. Because you remember in verse 11, Jesus said there was a man that had two sons. And in verse 25 we read, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. How do you think the brother should respond to that? Well, Jesus says that he was angry and he refused to go in. And what you need to see here, and I think what Jesus is communicating, is that we all wear our lostness differently. We all wear it differently. Sometimes, those that wear their lostness, it's easy to pick out. It's easy to point out. But then there are others who wear their lostness, wear their distance from God a little differently. And it's harder to see it. It's harder to pick it out. And you may be thinking, well, Ron, you have a hard time identifying with a younger brother. I've never, you know, just lived recklessly, wildly, you know, just went out and just did all kinds of wild and crazy things and then one day came to my senses and came back. You know, my testimony is not like that. Well, then maybe you can identify with this older brother whose form of lostness is just as damaging, if not more so. And what I want you to see here is one sign of this elder brother spirit. If you have this elder brother lostness, one sign is that when things don't go your way, when God doesn't deliver the way you want Him to, you become very angry and bitter. You notice in verse 28 that when the elder brother saw that his father extended grace to his younger son, how did he respond? With anger and bitterness. Why? Because he's saying, I deserved the calf. I'm the obedient one. And because you lavished your grace on someone else, he's angry, he's bitter. You know, there's a sense in which seeing this grace extended by his father brings him to anger. And maybe you've experienced that with God, where if God doesn't deliver, He doesn't show up in ways you want Him to, you react in anger and bitterness. Another sign that you have an elder brother spirit is that you have this sense of superiority over people. Look at verse 28. It says, His father came out and entreated him, and he answered his father, Look. And you could even translate this as him saying, Look you. Instead of showing respect to his father. He says, Look you. 
These many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, his brother, but he doesn't refer to him as his brother, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. Now he's just saying that. We don't know if he did that, but he's just slamming his brother. You killed the fattened calf for him. In other words, the older brother is looking at the younger brother and he's saying, look how much better I am than him. And yet you killed the fattened calf for him and not me. Do you have that sense of superiority? When you see people that may not have as much self-control as you do or whatnot, you think of how much better you are and how much more God should do for you because you have it together. You're doing the right thing. Instead of rejoicing over the grace extended to the younger brother, he gets angry. He refuses to go in. He becomes bitter with his father. And another sign of the elder brother's spirit is this. And this is something I think we all can fall into is this joyless, contractual obedience. This joyless, contractual obedience to God. And you see it in the elder brother. He doesn't rejoice at the Father's love and grace that He's shown to His younger, younger brother. It's all about obedience. I have done this. He has not done this. I have served you. He has not. He gets the fattened calf. Why, not, why can't I have the fattened calf? I deserve the fattened calf. You should have given me the fattened calf. And what you see here is that the, the older son, He justifies himself based on his record of obedience, his merit. And he's saying, God, speaking about his father, Jesus is giving the illustration about God. If you serve God in order to get things from God, you have that elder brother spirit. Do you serve God in order to get things from God? Or do you serve God because of your love for God? because of what He's done for you in Christ. There's a difference. One is contractual. It's, okay God, I'm going to do this for you, but you need to do this for me. And we just keep kind of going back and forth. I'll do this, you do this. I'll obey, you do this. And then if God doesn't ever do that, you get angry and bitter. And you get jealous and envious over those who have what you wanted. That's contractual, joyless obedience. As opposed to obedience that says, I see what you've done for me, God, in Christ. You are good. You are loving. You are, you are wonderful. You've showered your grace on me. I don't deserve it. And so even when I don't feel like obeying, I'm going to do it out of faith because I know you're good. I know it's good. I know it's right to do things your way. And so by faith, I'm going to do it. Because you've loved me so much that you gave Christ for me. And so I'm going to trust you with this decision. I'm going to trust you with my future. And so what we see here in the, in the younger brother and the older brother is that we all wear our lostness differently. Sometimes you can see it. Very blatant. 
people living untethered from God. But sometimes it's more camouflaged in our goodness, in our own obedience. And yet we can still be far from the Father. We can still refuse to go in. And yet the Father comes to the younger son and invites him in. And he also goes out to the older son and invites him in. He extends grace to both. But we only see the younger son enjoying that grace and that forgiveness and that mercy and that sonship. And Jesus ends it by saying, in verse 31, And He said to him, the father says to the eldest son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And then the parable ends. And Jesus just leaves these questions on the table like, well, did he, did he go in? I mean, did the elder brother go in? Did he, did he reconcile with the younger brother? He just leaves it. Leaves it on the table. And the reason he does that is because, remember, in Luke 15, 1, he's telling this parable to two groups of people, the tax collectors and sinners, those who have realized their sin and they have, they have turned to God and they're experiencing His grace and His love and forgiveness. And then he's telling it to, to this other group, the Pharisees and scribes, who are having a hard time understanding the grace of God. And the question is, will they come in? Will they come to God? Will they turn to Him and enjoy His grace and His forgiveness and love? Will they come? Maybe. And that question is still on the table for you and for me. Whether you're the younger brother going your own way, or whether you're the elder brother where you have some contract with God that I'm going to behave so you'll do good things for me. Whichever one you are, you're in equal need of the grace of God. And the question is, will you come in? Will you come to Christ? Will you place your faith in Christ and experience His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness? You know, if you're running from God, I want to encourage you to stop running and turn and enjoy the love and grace that is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And on the flip side of that, if you're striving to earn God's favor and acceptance, I want to encourage you to stop and rest. Rest in the acceptance that is yours in Christ. God fully accepts you in Christ. You don't have to earn your way into His good favor. You don't have to earn your way into His family. It go, coming into God's family is not like a two-step process. First, I'm a hired man, and then I'm a son. So that's the beauty of God's grace, is that you come in as a son, as a daughter of God through Christ. And so I encourage you today, wherever you are, whether you're running or striving, would you come to God through Christ and enjoy His grace, His love and forgiveness? Let us pray. Lord, we all come to You in need of grace. We acknowledge that, that our hearts were far from You. Whether we were trying to 
earn our way to you through our good works or run, run from you. Lord, we are in equal need of your grace, your love. We only can come into your family by the grace that you give us through Jesus. We recognize that, God. Help us to come to our senses. Help us to see you as that loving Father, always willing to come out and welcome us in, invite us into the celebration. Lord, I pray wherever the people are here today, that you would give them a better understanding of who you are, your grace, your mercy, what you've accomplished for them and for me in Jesus Christ. And help us to respond to that in faith and in joy and obedience. In Christ's name, amen.